Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we can all make a difference right now. Today, we are talking about more despicable actions from local legislatures, Manchin inserting his ugly face back into the fight to protect our planet and the fight to avoid defaulting on our debts. And helping us discuss it all, you just heard her. We are excited to announce a great new addition to our podcast team, the author of the Chop Wood Carry Water newsletter, and now a new co-host of How We Win, Jessica Craven. I'm Steve Pearson. I'm Jennifer Fernandez-Ancona. And I'm Jessica Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. Win. Yes, welcome, Jessica, to the team. Our listeners will remember hearing her a few episodes back. um, And, uh, you know, we uh, were discussing, like, how incredibly aligned we are in the work that we do. Jessica has her amazing Substack newsletter, Chop Wood, Carry Water. And uh, it does the same things that we try to do here on the show every week, which is give you action items, constructive things that everyone can do every week to make a difference, and also reasons for hope, reasons to feel positive about uh, what's going on, because there's uh, that's not what the media does. The media um, likes to get the scary things out there and make us feel really bad inside. So I'm so thrilled to have Jessica here joining our team to make us feel good inside every week. And I am thrilled to be here, Steve and Jennifer. It's delightful. <laughs> Yay. So glad to have your voice on this on this show. It's it's definitely aligned, like Steve said, and um, just really admire everything you do and appreciate you being here. Thank you. I mean, talk about the duo with the two of you and, you know, way to win and the messaging expertise that uh, Jennifer has, too. Not that Jessica doesn't have amazing messaging expertise, too, but. Uh, I think this is really a powerful show that that folks are going to really get a lot out of every week and um, uh, hopefully won't mind me saying stuff too. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm excited for the new format. Me too. Yeah, me too. Me too. It'll be great. Well, having said all that, let's jump right in and and talk about the top news of the week. Um, And uh, I said we were going to make you feel good. That comes later. The top news, <laughs> <laughs> the top news of the week, isn't exactly feel-good stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What should we start with? You want to talk about uh, the North Carolina abortion ban vetoed, and then the overriding of the veto? Sure. I yeah. I mean, it's a it's huge news. It's just again part of what we're seeing in so many states across the country where Republicans and the the MAGA GOP are really doubling down on a strategy that has frankly failed them electorally in the last few cycles. But they're continuing to double down, and it's just they're I think they're just very driven by this ideological need to control women and people. And so that's that's what's happened. Of course, the they've already stripped. The governor of most of the power in North Carolina, and this is what we see happening: the ability to for them to more easily uh, override his veto on the abortion ban that, that bans abortion after twelve weeks in North Carolina. It's 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 really unbelievable. Yeah, just which to... is one of the which is one of the last excuse me, Steve, but one of the last remaining um, bastions of abortion access in the South. I mean, yeah. we're really getting down now. To we're getting down. Yeah. 
yeah. to like very few places where people can go. And just Florida, for, too. for yeah. anyone who didn't see the news, uh, you know, Governor Roy Cooper, the Democratic governor of North Carolina, did veto the bill that would uh, ban abortion after 12 weeks. Uh, and then his veto was overridden by the Senate and then went on to be overridden by the North Carolina House. And I'll, I'll say one thing that I've noticed, um, you know, as I've been running for a local legislature myself here in California, is a lot of folks back when uh, a lot of us started organizing, you know, November 2016, didn't really understand the importance and the power of local legislatures in their lives. And I think more people mm. are attuned to it now, sadly, because of the egregious actions of these, you know, test labs for autocracy that we see in these red states. And, um, you know, so if there's a silver lining, it's that we understand uh, how important these local legislatures are and, and we're really joining the fight um, to get involved there. But this is this is a huge blow. And as Jessica said, um, you know, one of the last spots for uh, safe legal abortion in the South. And um, this is going to cost literal lives. Um, and uh, uh, it just reinforces the work that we must do coming in to this next election to uh, to reverse this and, and make sure that abortion is legal federally. Yeah. I, I am interested to see what happens in North Carolina because it is this swing state that has also not not come over to our side in in many years even though there's been a lot of trying with a lot of, of elections i think the last time federally was obama back in 2008 so it's but it is a, a kind of a state where you see these close margins and and we we've seen anywhere from one to three percent margins in the last few cycles in some of the senate races so it is interesting, right, what the political implications of this are going to be. This is a huge freedom that is being taken away from people now in the state. Mm -hmm. And we all we know when things get taken away that it does tend to be more mobilizing for people. There has been a really hard time turning out vo enough voters in North Carolina in some of these close elections. So um, it, like I said in the beginning, I think it is a failed electoral strategy for the GOP. It, it remains to be seen if it has that impact. But I... I I, ha I am hopeful that it will, at least in this upcoming election, to hold the governor. Yeah, that's the governor's a, office. That's a really good point because we've seen this as as an incredibly galvanizing issue, as well it should be. Um, and uh, I have often felt like, you know, Charlie Brown trying to kick the football when it comes to North Carolina, and uh, and I, it's been yeah. like looked so close, and we've worked so hard on elections there, and I've had friends who are you know, longtime politicos who just would nod their head at me, say, no, no, North Carolina is not going to not going to go blue. Um, and uh, I believe that every time we build infrastructure, every time we get closer, we are, you know, um, building the, the, the work on the ground that's necessary to do better the next election. But this issue very well could be the one to, to take the state over the top. I mean, um, that's what we saw in the last elections, what we see everywhere. And don't forget, we have a new uh, Democratic Party state chair in North Carolina. She's 25 years old. Yep. She, uh, Anderson Taylor, is that her name? Anderson, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she's, it's exciting. She's got energy. She is crossing the state right now and going to visit Dem clubs all over the state in a way that apparently really hasn't been done. 
And uh, there is still an enormous amount of grassroots energy there. Uh, so, yeah, I am still, I, I am like you, I am still hopeful. I still believe that this state can move. And Biden is apparently going to invest in it very heavily for 2024. So. Absolutely. Let's go. Let's go. I know Anderson Clayton, the, Clayton, the youngest, thank you. Um, youngest party chair, definitely in North Carolina, possibly in the country. Um, we had a chance, our team ha has had a chance to meet with her and she definitely has so much fire and energy and she's got the absolutely the right message, which we need for North Carolina, which is this isn't about, you know, slicing and dicing voters and trying to, you know, find a narrow message for different pockets of people. This is about like how how do we actually feel united around our identity as North Carolinans, whether we're in rural areas or urban areas? I did, and I think that that message and just that commitment to a unified message and narrative is is what we have missed in North Carolina. It's it 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 is a mostly white state, but there it, there's growing diversity for sure in the Black community, for sure in the Latino community as well, and even API community as well. So there's just potential to build that multiracial solidarity, and of course, young people know that more innately um, so she's really carrying that forward yeah it's fantastic well speaking of 2024 uh and right now too um <laughs> <laughs> here we are once again talking about mansion and uh i don't like talking about mansion so i'm, I'm gonna do some uh hazing of the new kid and uh, and let jessica talk about uh the mansion problems we're having Okay. Well, first of all, I feel like there should be like special cue music, just like a sort of wah, wah, wah when we have to talk about him. Because honestly, I love that. we were talking about this before we started recording that of all of the things, like when I see a mansion related uh, breaking news notification, I just feel like I'm going to vomit every time. Like it is just, he is a source of so much stress. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and again today, like he did it again. Oops, he did it again. So <laughs> yeah, he is basically threatening to, um, well, he's, you know, uh, Joe Manchin has been angry about the climate provisions in um, the, the, the Inflation Reduction Act for a year now. The only reason he allowed that bill to pass was because he got permitting reform promised to him. Mm -hmm. And then we have continued to block that permitting reform. So he's very angry that he didn't get what he wants. And as far as I can tell, he is A, threatening to just blow up the debt ceiling negotiations unless he gets that permitting reform again. And then he's also, I believe, uh, threatening to run for president. Um, this is actually something I have refused to read an article about because it gives <laughs> me so much stress. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, you can you can bring in more information, but I he's he's just... He is a, a megalomaniac with a tremendous amount of power, and um, we're going to talk in a second. I think Jennifer's got the best strategy to to dealing with him. Um, but right now, unfortunately, he's got a lot of power, and he's trying to wield it to get uh, more, you know, fossil fuels right. dug out of the ground well, while we can. Yeah, he's got tremendous mm -hmm. coal interests of his own, obviously, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. uh, is very wealthy uh, on the backs of coal, uh, yeah. on the back of coal. And before we go to some positive stuff from Jennifer, I just want to, you know, Jessica, you and I were talking a little bit about how it's sort of like being in an abusive relationship because it's very complicated. Uh, in West Virginia, uh, having that Democratic seat has enabled us to do a lot of things we would not have been able to do without you know, mansion, I'll just say caucusing with the Democrats, right? Um, mm -hmm. And 
yeah. you know, certainly if he was not to run for reelection, um, there would be a Republican in that seat. I can't imagine a Democrat winning that seat. Um, yeah. So, he, you know, obviously he uses that uh, great power he has. But, you know, there are ways to make him less relevant. So for that, let's kick it to Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to say, just for people who don't know, the thing about the running for president is that there's this centrist group called No Labels, which is very destructive. And they've actually gained a ballot line in several key states so far in 2024 and are threatening to challenge Biden with a third party. They've floated Manchin as one idea, but there's others who could be out there. And just to you're absolutely right to avoid that news because it is really horrifying that anyone who cares about democracy or at least says that they even want to have a democracy would do that because it would absolutely risk us losing by, you know, these elections are very narrow in, in many of these places and having a third party who just peeled a little bit away, it's just... Well, we see that we see that time scary. and time again. We see third party candidates that are so destructive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not okay. With everything on the line, with like literally the democracy itself, are we in a democracy or are we in an autocracy? That's what's on the line. And so we can't play around with that. And I think the no label strategy is just abhorrent. I, I just, I, I think it should not, I don't even know what we should do right now, but I should probably figure that out. <laughs> but I think it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and they're taking quite a lot of money from people like Harlan Crow, right? Who is right. the big Clarence Thomas donor? I mean, there's it, they're definitely in it to help Donald Trump, and that is uh, yeah. yeah, that's terrifying. There is yeah, there is no doubt that this is funded by Republicans. No one benefits more than Republicans. There's yeah, a third party candidate is not going to get elected, uh, but this has the potential of helping a weak Republican candidate like right. a Donald Trump. Uh, eke out a win. So um, follow the money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think what I'm just holding to is the possibility that, you know, when it comes to Manchin's reelection, that it isn't something that we necessarily have to do that we can, if we hold all the seats that we need to hold, and we can try to pick up one other seat that there's a couple that are possible. Um, the really important thing is to focus on Arizona and making sure that we replace Kirsten Cinema because she absolutely is in the same place as him, right, in terms of not being a real Democrat. And we have an opportunity there to actually elect a real Democrat in Ruben Gallego in Arizona. And so I think there's a scenario um, where we don't need Manchin to get to 50 votes. And then with the White House um, re, re elect and Kamala Harris being a tying vote. It's not just, it's not the same as it was in 2021, where we had the 50-50 majority, but we had two people who weren't actually acting like Democrats. If we replace cinema, and we've already replaced with, with um, Fetterman in Pennsylvania, one of those Republicans, 
they've all said they will support amending the filibuster to pass voting rights reform and to pass abortion rights federally. So those two things would be absolutely fundamental, right, to um, to our democracy. And, and how are we going to build in all these other states where the Republicans are consolidating so much power in the red states if we don't have federal action? So to me, that is exciting because it's like a motivating plan. It doesn't involve Manchin. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't involve even caring about him at all. You know, not putting a single dollar toward trying to reelect him and actually focusing all of our dollars on protecting Sherrod Brown in Ohio, protecting um, Tester in Montana, um, protecting Jackie Rosen in Nevada and getting rid of cinema and electing Gallego in Arizona. So that's my pitch for a mansion free 2024. I love a mansion free 2024. <laughs> and fun fact, Me I too. met uh, uh Representative Gallego at, um, it was actually an online phone bank back in 2020 that I was launching, uh, but it was a Halloween themed phone bank. So I was dressed up as Dumble <laughs> Biden and I had a wow. wig and, and Biden's aviator glasses and, and a robe on. So he would never remember me or recognize me, but I, I did meet him once. Or that's how he's going to remember you forever. <laughs> right. I think we need to see those photos, Steve. Yeah. I think you need to put them on your campaign site. It was an ill-conceived <laughs> costume. I thought it was funny, but... Um, put them in the hilarious. show notes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, I am excited now to uh, rebrand our to-do list to chop wood, carry water, uh, to align with Jessica's great work. So um, let's move on to our Chop Wood, Carry Water segment. And uh, and what do we have on tap for us this week, Jessica? Well, we're, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, the, the debt ceiling. That's the only time I'm going to say that phrase, because as <laughs> Jennifer, you know, and, and all of the messaging people have been repeating over and over again, that phrase is not super helpful. So we're talking instead about how we don't want to default on our debts, that America doesn't default on its debts. And Republicans have put us in this sort of Sophie's Choice situation, uh, if you're familiar with the old movie slash book, um, where yeah. they're asking us to choose between defaulting on the national debt, which is going to cause a recession and you know, the loss of 8 million jobs and uh, catastrophe, really, or a budget bill that they have passed, which would also bring economic catastrophe and real pain to millions of Americans. I mean, it's it's shocking and staggering that they would even want to pass this bill. They basically have said, you guys have to choose, right? And so in the middle of this, our side is sticking with a very clear message, which is simply, that's not how we do it. That's never how it's been done. We need to not default on our debt first, right? First, we take care of that. And then we will negotiate a budget that we can all agree on. So what I've been encouraging people in my newsletter to do, you know, sometimes we just have to kind of make the same call over and over again, and it's boring, and it's irritating, and you feel like they don't care that I'm calling again. But in fact, as I'm sure Steve and Jennifer will concur, when we call our representatives' offices, they're not marking down like, oh, Jessica Craven has called about this 50 times. They're marking every day, here's how many phone calls we got about the debt ceiling. Here's how many people just wanted to, you know, want us to just raise it. Here's how many people want us to, you know, default and blow up our economy. So every day I am encouraging people to just call. Basically, we're just going to say I'm really disappointed that Republicans passed such a terrible budget bill um, that would hurt veterans, that will hurt people on Medicaid, that will hurt students. Those are all, by the way, provisions of the bill that are particularly uh, pull particularly badly 
with mm-hmm. Americans across the board. Uh, the fact that Republicans are tying this terrible bill to the debt ceiling is unconscionable. We don't want to default on our debt, and we want a solution now. And then if they're a Republican, you might just add, if you do tank the economy, we are going to blame you, not Democrats. So please stop holding the economy hostage. Don't make us default. And then if we're calling our Democrat, we're just going to say, stand strong. Do not give in to the Republicans. You know, let's not default on our debt. And pretty much that's it. I love that. Can I just add one thing yeah, of course. Um, to that? I love this. I love this action. It's super important. And I agree The just the daily ritual of it can be really um it can actually be really soothing for for the person doing it. I've certainly done that on on other issues, but I think I love the encouragement there. And I just wanted to bring in that um, just not for this, not for the purpose of calling your representatives, but just for people to know how important this is and how actually um, uh, we didn't really talk about the Trump um, the Trump town hall that was last week. But I think oh. it happened after our last. Uh, but we're not going to talk about it. But I we will tell to. you of Except all shame the clips, on CNN. I'll just say that shame on CNN. I mean, this is what we're dealing with, but. Of all the clips, so you know, I'm I'm privy to like some a lot of message testing and work that's going on. And of all the clips of that town hall, which there were a lot of absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous, horrible things, the thing that he said about defaulting and just letting that happen was the most unpopular in terms of voters and how they saw all of all of the things he said. So it's it's actually not a winner for them. We and we can blame that. We can blame it on the GOP. We're seeing that, and I. I think the other thing for people, if you're talking to regular people out there, is that just reminding people this is just the the latest thing that these extreme MAGA people are doing. They tried to ban abortion. They're trying to take away Social Security. Now this is their latest thing. They're trying to crash the whole economy, you know, and and default on our debt in a way that we've you know we've seen them do this with Republicans in power, and it's not okay. So I just wanted to add that it's more of a political message, not for calling your representatives, but for you know talking to your friends who also want to know why they should care about this. You know, it's, it's important, too, because, you know, it, it seems so counterintuitive. Like, why would a political party want to completely wreck the economy, would just, like, you know, destroy the the foundation of our government? But They don't you, think they'll get blamed. They don't they think, think Biden will get blamed. Yeah, yeah. They, they think Biden will get blamed. But also, you know, it's, it's a little bit by design, because when things fall apart and are in chaos, that's when autocracy can take hold, right? So, right. Um, you know, that's – this is the – even though it's, they know it's unpopular, this is the last thing that they have to hold on to is, is uh, you know, peddling hate and fighting, you know, for autocracy. And, uh, you know, we, we did a good job in the last election of pushing back on that. We really did. Um, but we are still uh, on a razor's edge and the stakes in this election couldn't be higher. Am I going to say it again? Am I going to say this next election is the most important <laughs> election of our lives? Damn it, no. I said it. <laughs> I said it again. Every election is so, so important right now. Um, Yeah, but we have to make the election about something, right? That's more, that's what we did in the midterms. And that's what we'll have to do again in 2024. Because, yeah, voters just aren't going to listen to that. I mean, they sort of tune it out. And to motivate people, we got to give them a, a real, a real reason why this matters. Yeah. I hope the listeners didn't tune that out, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and isn't that why Biden has sort of taken the message of freedom, you know, the freedom yeah. to live to live in some measure of prosperity, the freedom to have control over our own bodies, the freedom to read what we want, to let our kids learn what we want them to learn. Like, 
those, I think it's really smart, um, especially taking on banned books in his first launch video for 2024, mentioning that. I, know. I mean, I know because I look at a lot of the same messaging that people like you are spreading around, Jennifer, <laughs> that that stuff pulls really badly. Like banning books doesn't pull well. No. And abortion bans don't pull well. Refusing to raise taxes on super rich people and instead cutting programs like Medicaid does not pull well. So Absolutely. our job is simply to just like he's already started doing to just amplify that that's what's happening. That's yep. all. That's what it is. Yeah. Yep. That is that is the current stakes of the 24 election. Absolutely. Yeah. And that. mad props to Jennifer and Way to Win for that incredible ad and that messaging guidance, which the administration, what they picked up on it. You never get like they good messaging it. picked up on, but you know, they did. I've got it's my- ex- Cup of Joe uh, right here. So. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, ex- mug. it's exciting that the messaging seems to be getting out. Like people have always said, oh, Democrats don't have a good messaging machine. But I feel right. like we're getting much, much better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I agree. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, that's an exciting uh, reason for hope. Um, Jen, what, what is your reason for hope? Uh, well, I had something, it's kind of small, but also interesting. The So the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, they came out that they've built this new prototype system that allows Americans to file tax returns free of charge online. And so this is interesting because I was this year, this year's old when I learned that um, TurboTax was kind of a bad scene. I thought TurboTax was fine. I loved their ads. Like I thought they were helping. But then I learned that you actually, like in many countries, you don't need to file your taxes. They just send you the bill of whatever it is, or they, you know, they actually know there's no reason. But TurboTax and all these other kind of tax prep industry companies have successfully lobbied for all of these laws that then make it necessary to buy their service. So, you know, it's just a classic sort of corporate, you know, scam. Um, And so I kind of love that under Biden and, you know, of course, the IRS has been under such attack from the Republicans are trying to completely defund it and and gut it out. But it's just really cool to me that they're taking these little steps to make life easier for people, better for regular people. It's all part of um, that. What gives me hope is governance, democratic governance, progressive governance, doing those things to make people's lives a little bit better and, you know, not having to pay turbo tax to just file your tax return and get your refund or whatever um, feels like a small step, a small step in a bright way. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to go next because I want to give uh, Jessica the, the final word here on, on the reasons for hope. Uh, and uh, I'm kind of stealing from what I said last week, but, uh, you know, as, as we move along right now here in Los Angeles and really all over the country with our writer's strike going on, um, it's been amazing to see the sustained, not just sustained, but this uh, solidarity build over, um, over the, the days that the strike has been going on. And I was around, as I think I talked about last week, for the last strike 15 years ago, and there was good solidi- solidarity there. Uh, and uh, it went on for a long time. A lot of folks were out on the picket lines. But this is so much bigger. And, and I'm just seeing... Uh, 
you know, all kinds of unions joining in and and walking the picket line. And we are just at an inflection point in labor right now. And I really have a lot of hope that we can, you know, make gains for workers all over our country uh, when we stand together. And this is just one example of a, of a bunch that we've been seeing over the last couple of years. Of course, it's extremely impactful to our economy here in California. So uh, it gives me a lot of hope and it's tough. It's tough to see people suffering and not working right now, but um, we'll continue to stand with them. And, uh, and it gives me a lot of hope for workers in the future. Okay, that was fantastic. Uh, that made me want to change my reason for hope because you got me thinking about Julie Sue, the the nominee for labor secretary. Who we, might, we might get to get confirmed now that Diane Feinstein is back, maybe, and how great that would be. But I am not going to use that because I had said I was going to talk about something else. And this <laughs> is uh, just a, a, a memo that was released by Mike Lux Media. I think you both are very familiar with Mike. Mike is a, is a I guess, yeah. how would you describe him? He's a he's a democratic a political he's a, operative, yeah, democratic right. strategist. Mm-hmm. He does he does a lot of work with Celinda Lake. They took a look they take a look at a lot of focus groups and anyway, he wrote a great memo uh Democrats could win a trifecta in 2024 and maybe we'll we'll that. yeah, we'll put a link to this in the in the show notes. But you know, basically Democrats are so uh, it, we 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 are so kind of sad sack in our always assuming we're going to lose, um, even when the evidence over the past seven years is that we can win against really staggering odds. And so he's basically saying again, like once again, Democrats are sort of already saying like, oh, it's going to be hard. We have a terrible Senate map, and and in fact, you know, he talks about the challenges. Okay, uh, Joe Biden's approval rating, yes, it's in the low forties, but. Uh, it was also in the low 40s in November of 2022, and Democrats, you know, knocked it out of the park in that election. And Clinton's and Obama's appro- approval ratings were essentially almost as low at the same time. And, uh, you know, and then he talks about the age thing. Yes, you know, voters have concerns, but Biden is vital and Trump is only four years younger. And then he goes on to talk about the Senate map. And actually, all of our our Senate candidates in these kind of toss-up states are really strong and very popular in their states. Sherrod Brown, John Tester. And I guess what I want to say is that I find it really helpful to read things like this that come from good authority, but are hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I really encourage people to look for people who are are not just, you know, blowing smoke up our butts, but like giving us good fact that is hopeful. Because that's how we sustain this battle over the long term. If I'm only listening to the people who are telling us, oh, it's all, we're, we're screwed, I just, I can't sustain my activism over the long haul. And there are lots of people like Simon Rosenberg and Mike Lux, who, you know, Robert Hubble, who are just constantly sort of giving us the news through a lens of hope and sort of saying like, look, we've done really well so far and we're going to keep doing well. And uh, and I really encourage people to 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 gravitate towards some of those people um, and, and towards this podcast, of course, like it's really important. It's medicinal to um, stick with people who have a positive take on where we're going and what we're capable of. Um, Because it's borne out by the facts. It's not just wishful thinking. I love that. Absolutely. I'm going to have to plug uh, going back and listening to Celinda Lake's uh, episode of our podcast and Simon Rosenberg's. And I guess we got to get Mike on too, don't we? (laughs) We should get Mike on. I, I love that you lifted that up, Jessica. It is so true. It's a big part of the work that we try to do at Way to Win too, to be part of this chorus that says, 
no, we're not going to just say there's too many headwinds, there's too much thermostatic effect, we're not going to try to win these midterms. Like, look at what's on the line. Of course, we have to try to win these midterms. We actually put out something like similar to this in March of 22 called the case for action that was like, you may think we can't win, but you can't argue that we shouldn't try. Like, here's and here's the path and here's what could happen. So I love this. And of course, it's so rooted in data because Celinda is out there talking to voters all the time. She understands everything about what's going on. And I think it does provide leadership for our party for to have people like this and like all the other ones you mentioned. Yeah, just not being afraid to put ourselves out there and say like, yeah, we can win. And by the way, we should win because nothing could be more important. And look at the possibility, like I just said before, we could actually pass voting rights federally in a way that we've not, not seen in our own lifetime. So I'm super excited about this memo and I, I actually hadn't seen it. And so I'm going to now share it with everyone I know. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's hopeful. It's hopeful indeed. Yeah, thanks. Well, as as far as I'm concerned, so far so great with this trio. I absolutely love uh, having you, you know, on as a co-host, and I can't wait for episodes to come. So, um, thank you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or you can find us on social media at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, at Jen Ancona, and also at jesscraven101, but not on Twitter because she's not on Twitter, but on Instagram and TikTok. That's right. And make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show with your friends and family. There's always more work to do, so we'll be back again next Wednesday. 